Welcome back to the 232nd episode of Power Your Parenting Moms and Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Does neurofeedback help teens? Well, Diane Costo thinks so. Diane, an industry-leading expert and visionary, is the founder and CEO of Symmetry Neuropathway Training. Recognized as a compassionate mom on a mission, Diane is dedicated to making neurofeedback technology accessible to families and individuals worldwide. Drawing from her personal journey and the trauma her family endured due to brainwave dysregulation, she is committed to helping others avoid similar challenges. Diane has been a trusted mentor and consultant for neurofeedback providers across the continent, transcending various professions since 2010. Her invaluable expertise continues to guide and inspire through Symmetry's Sage Advisors Division. Diane Costo's path has been marked by unwavering resolve and a profound dedication to improving the quality of lives through neurofeedback. Her personal and professional journey is chronicled in her upcoming book, From Trauma to Triumph, A Mom's Mission with Neurofeedback, which is set to launch on September 9th, 23. It is a testament to her commitment to helping each brain learn to better regulate and in turn, helping each person pave their own path from trauma to triumph. In this episode, we talk about what is brainwave dysregulation and how that manifests with teens. We explore what neurofeedback is and how it can be helpful to all teens, especially teens who have ADHD, anxiety, trauma, and depression. So welcome, Diane Costa. Hi, Colleen. I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to chatting with you and your listeners. So the first question I ask all my guests is, if you are a mom, what are the ages of your kids? Oh, okay. I am a mom. My kiddos are 27 and soon to be 26. Wow. So I have a daughter who's 27. So we have a kid the same age. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It's like getting into those years where I never understood how people could forget what age their kids were. But like all the way up until they were maybe 21, 22, I knew the age, I knew the age, I knew the age. And now I have to like sometimes think for a minute. It's really kind of fun. (laughs) It's kind of fun. (laughs) Right. Both me and my daughter thought she was a year older than she was. So... That happened to my youngest too. Like I've been telling people he was 26 because when he was back here in the beginning of the year and his brother asked him, Hey, are you 26 now? He's like, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I was off. (laughs) He's not quite 26 yet. He will be next month. Yes. So I know what you mean. All right. So in September, you have a book coming out called From Trauma to Triumph, A Mom's Mission with Neurofeedback. So I would love to hear the background story and why you wrote the book. Yeah, okay. I wrote the book because many people have asked me to. Um, you know, they was like, when is the book coming out when they hear the story? And and the story was really just me being the mom on a mission looking for help for my youngest son. You know, he was um, just impulsive off the charts. So most school environments didn't agree with him and he'd get kicked out and I'd get the phone call, you know, he's not following the program. You need to come and get him. So this started when he was age five through about when he was 12, going on 13. And I just searched for all different, you know, environments that I thought were going to work better for him 
since I was a single parent and feeling like I wasn't really doing the best that I could for him. So I tried private schools, homeschool, boarding school, military academy, homeschool multiple times, you know, and there he still was, you know, uh, really just off the charts. He never knew what was going to happen if he would haul off and punch a hole in the wall or leave the building or just refuse to do the work. Um, and so long story short, I'll try to condense it because you can read the book, I guess. <laughs> um, when he got to be 12, going on 13, it was pretty violent in the house, so much so that I, when he went to the military academy, I said, you, you're not welcome back here if you don't make this work for you. It got that mm. extreme. Mm. And they called me and kicked him out because he got in trouble. And I had to make one of the hardest decisions of my life and send him to one of those therapeutic programs for troubled teens. You know, all of those years, we, we tried to avoid that, but there he was, ended up in the therapeutic program. And I got that same call and mm. we were out of options. You know, mm. we felt like um, wilderness therapy was too dangerous for him. I didn't know what to do. And at that point, I was thankfully introduced to the founder of a neurofeedback company. And he started explaining to me what neurofeedback was, brainwave training. And it made sense to me. And he said, that's the kind of kid we can help. So I went through the training, drove from South Carolina to the middle of nowhere, Utah, and set up neurofeedback in that program where my son was. And it literally saved his life. So wow. that's, that's why I wrote the book. So parents could avoid all of those years that we went through from age five to 12, looking for the right book, the right parenting tool, the right environment. Uh, and, you know, they could start a little bit earlier, taking a look at what's physically happening in their kid's brain. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll dive into all of that. Okay. So what is brainwave dysregulation and how does it manifest? So our brains have normal, healthy communication patterns, and those are little electric signals that we call brain waves. You may have heard of things like delta waves or alpha waves when you're meditating, certain states of the brain. Uh, and there are healthy, normalized patterns. But when they become disrupted, either through trauma, genetics, maybe drugs or toxins in the system, any kind of thing, like a bump to the head can disrupt the brainwave activity and the communication there. So when that happens people have symptoms that are uncomfortable. Maybe they can't sleep right. Maybe they're impulsive off the charts. Maybe they get angry easy. Maybe they have trouble focusing or they're depressed or anxious. Things like that can happen when your brainwaves aren't properly ordered. So that's brainwave dysregulation. And the whole goal of neurofeedback is just help the brain better regulate, help those communication patterns be more regulated. So can you explain to the moms listening like, what is neurofeedback? Yeah. So neurofeedback is technology-driven learning for the brain. There are multiple different kinds of neurofeedback out there, but the version that I've used that has saved my son is really just measuring that brainwave activity, identifying what areas of the brain are functioning well and which are not. And then through a series of sessions, um, and those sessions look like they'll just be a couple sensors on your scalp measuring the brainwave activity that gets amplified and the software will detect when the brain's meeting a healthy pattern that we want to encourage. So the individual will be just kicked back watching a movie or listening to something, anything that can stream online. The software puts an overlay over top of that. So when the brain meets that healthy pattern that we want to encourage, they'll see the movie better or brighter or hear the music better. And then it goes dimmer or quieter 
when the brain is not producing a healthy pattern. So it's a process of using that technology to measure, that's the neuro part, and the feedback is what they're watching or listening to and rewarding the brain to produce that pattern that we want to encourage. So technology-driven learning. So are the teens using it, are they conscious of trying to change their brain waves or is it more of an unconscious process? That's a good question. Yeah, uh, it's great if they understand what's happening, but they really don't have to. And there doesn't need to be and there shouldn't be like a conscious trying to do it. Usually when people try to make something happen through the neurofeedback process, it's it doesn't work as well. So you really need to just lay back, kick back, relax, allow your brain to do the work and communicate with the software. Because when you try, you usually get a little more anxious or nervous, and that's going to disrupt the signals. Okay, so explain a little bit more about what you mean by that. Just what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Well, what happens is, I mean, it's it's kind of like our brain's natural tendency. Your brain wants to see and hear things better. You wake up in the morning, your eyes start to focus. You hear a, a noise outside of your house. Your ears kind of tune in. So it's our natural response. We're using that through the technology. The technology's given the brain those kind of little signals and rewards, and the brain will figure out what it has to produce to, for that to happen, which patterns of communication it has to create. And, I mean, they did it with cats in the 60s. That's how neurofeedback was discovered. Mm-hmm. They had little sensors on the cat's scalp and when they produced a little half second burst of a certain brainwave activity they gave them a little bit of milk and broth so just by rewarding that cat when their brain produced that half second burst the cat started producing more and more of that particular brainwave Hmm. so if the cats can do it just with a little milk and broth the human brain like i said we naturally want to see and hear things better so the brain will figure out what it has to do it's really cool so it really is kind of an unconscious process in some ways or a lower brain process than yes. Okay. Yes. A lot of people talk about operant and conditioning and that might uh-huh. be part of it, but the studies that they're doing are showing there's there's more to it than just operant conditioning. There's something else kind of like on that subconscious level. Yeah. Mm. Right. So it's been around for like fifty years or plus. I don't know how many I can't count. But <laughs> um but for a long time. And has it changed over the years? Absolutely. Yeah, it started back then in the research labs by accident, they found it. Mm. And the technology was much more cumbersome. Obviously, our, even our laptops and everything have changed so much over those years. And now we, we have apps that can be used for certain types of um, brain training, even on your phone or a tablet. So that the technology has just become much more accessible. The, the quickness and the accuracy of the devices are improving as well. I mean, think about all the things that you have like on your watch now to, or, or mm. an R ring to track your sleeping. It, it's mm-hmm. along the lines of that. We're getting, that's biofeedback. That's measuring something in your body and giving you information on it so that you can mm-hmm. maybe change your habits or do something different. It's, a, it's the same process. It's biofeedback for the brain. Oh my gosh, this is so interesting. So neurofeedback is often met with skepticism. So how do you challenge the status quo and debunk common myths surrounding this innovative technology? Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, the skepticism, I think, is just really lack of information for most people. When you start to delve in a little bit and realize that it has been around for so long and it, and it does make sense. It's, it's just banking on the normal processes that happen in the brain. Um, so I just encourage people to do the research, uh, talk to somebody that has an experience, you know, interview the provider. Uh, of course, there's a lot of different training and different types of techniques out there. So make sure that you're being aware of what type of neurofeedback they're using. Um, that's, that's usually how I go about debunking it. And I have a personal experience, so it's hard to argue with, you know, with me because <laughs> I watched it with my son and then many other students in that program. And now for 13 years in multiple locations, we've had a lot of success. Mm. So what should a mom look for if she's interested in neurofeedback for her teen? Mm-hmm. I personally, because of the experience we had, I like this QEG-based non-invasive version. There are some neurofeedbacks that are um, coming out there, equipment that's more using a low-level current through the brain. I'm not comfortable with that, but I, I didn't use it. I mean, some people want more faster, and they're okay with that. And and we do have low-level current from using our cell phone or our microwave, so it might be fine. Um, but you have to test what your comfort level it is, is and talk to the individual about what style they're using, what their training is and what, you know, their experiences, maybe even talk to a few of the clients that they've seen and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the mom who's listening is thinking, Like, who is it? I mean, okay, I'll say this differently. So what sort of mental health issues or just issues does neurofeedback help? Yeah, so that's a great question, too. And the truth is, all of our brains could use a tune-up, right? I haven't (laughs) seen a perfect brain yet. (laughs) I have not seen a perfect brain map in 13 years that I've done this. Mm -hmm. So there are professional athletes out there using neurofeedback. Olympic teams are using neurofeedback. So I don't like to, to just put it in that category of mental health issues or concerns. And I appreciate the fact that a lot of people come to us looking for help to to improve their sleep or want to focus better or want to reduce their anxiety or depression. But I like to kind of stay away from any of those diagnoses. I'm a lay person. I don't treat anybody for any conditions. We help the brain better regulate. So anytime you start to better regulate the brain, regardless of what those symptoms are, the body and the brain and the nervous system becomes better regulated and therefore people function better. And sometimes those symptoms that they don't want can fall by the wayside. So I like to focus on the just better regulating the brain, regardless of what those, those labels are diagnostically. Okay. Um, so I think typically people might think of neurofeedback is really good for people who have ADHD. That's a common one. That was one of the earliest studies, seizures, ADHD. Yes. Yes. So how does it help sleep? Well, that's one of the first things that gets thrown out of whack when you have trauma, stress, uh, uh, toxins in your system, you know, just uh, the exposure of electronics at the wrong time and the wrong kind of electronics that disrupts our sleep. When you don't sleep well, your mood isn't regulated well. You, you don't focus and function cognitively as well, and you can't control your emotions as much. And so 
uh, sleep is one of the first things we love to see improvement in when you start to better regulate those brain waves. Mm. Mm. And that's often one of the first things that does start to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in sleep. Huge. It's so, and so many of us don't realize even young kids uh, in these day and age really aren't getting some of the restorative sleep that they should be or need at their age. Right. So, would neurofeedback be helpful for someone like me that's not a teen or a child? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You still have a brain in there too, and it can learn. (laughs) You know, the brain can learn until you're what, in your 90s or longer, you know, there hasn't been a point where anybody said, okay, now your brain can no longer learn. So Mm -hmm. you see the elderly people too, the ones that are out there dancing or swimming, they're working with puzzles or doing different things like that. They stay sharper and more vibrant, right? Because the brain can learn more. And this is just technology driven learning. So Mm. yes, absolutely. Any age. I think it just should be a household word, you know, just a normal thing that we do is is kind of regulate our systems, regulate our brain on a mm. regular basis. So is this something like that you have to keep doing like every week to kind of kind of regulate or is it something that you can actually really change your kind of brain chemistry so that it's like gone? Yeah, that's a really excellent question as well. And so like instances like my son, where there was a specific issue that was wreaking havoc in his life, was him not having a pause before reacting. At 40 sessions gave him that ability to just pause before he responded to his environment. And that made all the difference in his life. He could then apply all of the things that he learned from all of those different environments and programs and schools and everything, because he could stop and think about what he was doing, right? Mm -hmm. And he never had any neurofeedback after that. And he's one of the most disciplined people I know. And there are some people that come to us and they may have other traumas or stressors or something down the road and want to come back for like a tune-up. But your brain, once it learns something, that doesn't go away. So this process is just like learning to ride a bike or write with a pencil or play a musical instrument. You practice, practice, practice Mm -hmm. two to three times a week at least in the beginning, maybe more. And then that neural pathway is in there. You might not hop on that bike for 20 years, but you kind of remember how to do it once you get on it again, right? Yeah. So it's that similar process. The pathways are in there. They can be good disrupted later if there's a trauma or something and you could come back for a tune-up and some people just love the way they feel and if they have access to it they could do it on a regular basis as kind Mm. of a lifestyle Mm. um okay so i have have a lot i had like five questions in my head um so (laughs) you (laughs) Which is so great that we have people who are editing this. That's so good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so obviously I'm not just going off your questions because I have it's good. bringing up lots of ideas. I'm hoping so. Yes, I love that. So, okay, so I've remembered. So I, as a therapist, I'm obviously a talk therapist and use words. So this is not using words. I would imagine that you would take history, you know, before starting or... Like, because I'm thinking specifically of trauma. Right. Like, how would you start? It's all the same because we want to look at how that brain's functioning, where it's functioning well and where it isn't. 
And mm-hmm. any percent that we can start to move the brain towards the more normal, healthy communication patterns, then things are going to click for those individuals. Think about the people you've worked with for years that kind of are stuck. They know what they know. They know what they've talked through with you, They, but they still have trouble applying it or making changes in their life, right? Mm-hmm. So now if we can go in and physically make some changes in their brain so that they can make that connection and and then apply what they know or make changes in their life differently, then, then you're, you're moving past those walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a physical component to what people comprehend and how they act and the decisions they make. And so combined with the talk therapy, it's ideal how much further you can get people if they have a better regulated brain and they're going to understand and be able to apply those things that you're talking to them about. It's huge. It's a perfect yeah, no. combination. Yeah. yeah, no, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there's been so much research in neuroscience over the past 10, 15 years. It's just, and so, I mean, it's exciting. And I, I completely agree how this could really help move things along faster. Right. And it doesn't have to be scary. I mean, the talk therapists like you maybe aren't used to using technology and the field path of the neurofeedback field wants to make it like intimidating and like complicated. And it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. So are there any drawbacks to neurofeedback and are there like, and who should not do neurofeedback? Mm -hmm. I personally think everybody should have the opportunity (laughs) to participate in it because why not, right? If we have better regulated brains, we're going to have a better regulated society. However, you have to have the commitment to actually Mm -hmm. put sensors on your head, sit down and follow through with it. It's not a quick fix. It's not a magic pill. It is going to take, we recommend like 40 sessions and those are about a half hour. So you have some time commitment. It's not going to happen overnight. Again, think of it like learning to play a musical instrument, write with a pencil or ride a bike. You're you're not just going to do it in the minute that you think you want to. (laughs) It's going to take some time and commitment. So those, those are some things you really have to have in place. And a little bit of patience. You know, we're the microwave society. We want everything now, quicker, faster, better, you know, all of that. And, and this isn't like that. It's a learning process and it will take time for your brain to learn, but it absolutely can be life changing. Okay. So what sets your approach to neurofeedback apart from traditional methods Mm -hmm. and what exciting breakthroughs have you witnessed in your practice? So the, the style of neurofeedback that I use really is pretty traditional. It was based on what Barry Sturman found with those cats in the research lab back in the sixties. So we're looking at um, increasing certain brainwave activity and decreasing in certain pretty traditional patterns. And we use a QEG brain map to identify what's happening in the brain. Um, What sets us apart as a company with symmetry neuropathway training is really our customer service and our um, helping people get into this field to provide neurofeedback as well. So we want to teach therapists how to do this and not be intimidated and by complicated technology. So we're all about helping people have access um, in one way or another. So, and then breakthroughs. Oh my goodness. There's so many good stories. <laughs> all right. Um, we love stories. Oh, other than my son, you know, he, he's my number one poster child. Uh, but I've seen things like um, 
people that have struggled with autism and can't look you in the eye, can't remember names, that kind of thing. I've had a client that went through a couple months of training and um, looked me in the eye, shook my hand and remembered my name after I hadn't seen him for a, a couple months. That's huge. Uh, it could be even smaller things where like a kid that cannot stand the sound of the garage door, uh, it would just freak them out. And that kind of goes away. And suddenly there's certain things in their life that are just easier to deal with all the way to uh, suicidal ideation. You know, I've had teens that have struggled for years with different things. And then they write us a note, like all of a sudden for them, life seems brighter and, mm. and worth it. And so mm. I've seen just subtle changes in people where they're managing stress better and maybe handle the situation at work where their stomach didn't flip flop like it used to to some really extreme cases like my son. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's fun. Um, so take us through the process. If someone was going to work with you, what happens? Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to become a provider, you know, we can talk you through that part and make it very easy to bring this to your clients. Or if you're a parent and you're interested in service for somebody in your family, just give us a phone call. We'll talk you through what that process looks like. It involves filling out some intake questionnaires online, and then we ship you the equipment. We have a very user-friendly home system that's meant to be used outside of a, a office. So we, we still zoom in and coach you through every step of the way and check in with you on a regular basis while we're tracking your progress and reviewing all of those sessions uh, in the background. So it's, it's pretty simple. Hmm. All right. Um, so, you know, teens can be a little bit defiant. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. So what would you say to a mom who is like, oh, I want my son or daughter to do this. And the teens say, that sounds weird. No, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Usually bribery. They must resort to some type of, <laughs> you know, some type of, uh, hey, if you do this, you earn this, you know, or if it's the kind of kid that really needs to to learn and understand it on their own. We have a video. We can show them the science behind it. Um, but most kids, you can kind of get them to cooperate because they could just kick back and watch Netflix or YouTube or Hulu that they're going to be watching anyways, right? So you, between negotiating, giving them something that they want, educating them, or, you know, just the fact that that's just part of their routine. They, when they're going to watch YouTube, they're going to put these sensors on their head. <laughs> Well, so they would they wouldn't fight you on that. I know, right? <laughs> Sometimes they'll try. Uh, that's when you just have to. You probably have better um, negotiation uh, suggestions for your parents. It's, you're the therapist. <laughs> you probably well, I think you could say okay. So, so they're watching a Netflix show. So then they have these sensors on their head, and then. It's just, it's working? Fading in and out. So it'll be brighter when their brain's producing a healthy pattern and it goes dimmer when their brain is not. So their brain catches on. What do I have to do to see this better? Because I'm interested in this YouTube video and it will produce more or less of the certain pattern that we're asking it to. Yeah. So the screen's constantly fading and either brighter where they can see it better or dimmer where they can. And there may be audio. There may be music involved with that. Um, as well, or the sound in the movie will go louder and then dimmer 
And so you just have like a certain certain amount of time. So you just do that for like a 30-minute session. Right. Yeah. We actually start people with 10 minutes and build up five minutes in each session. And mm-hmm. some people at home can tolerate up to an hour, even a, twice a day. Again, it's like practicing okay. or learning something. Mm-hmm. So you would, would recommend like then they would do that like for 40 days in a row kind of thing? Yeah, that's ideal. You know, if they could do it in in the morning right after breakfast or in the evening after dinner, you know, their body's fueled up and they're used to just doing their thing, especially in the evening after dinner. That's not a bad time to watch a show for the kids mm-hmm. usually. Mm-hmm. So would you say that your son had ADHD or it was something else? I think they would have pegged him with that if we had that gone for a diagnosis because there was that no impulse control. But a lot of it came across as oppositional. So he probably would have gotten the ODD label, an oppositional defiance disorder, because of the explosiveness and the refusal. You know, he just quit doing math like in first grade and nobody could get him to do it for years. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. like it would come across like that and yeah, he was pretty energetic. So those would have been probably the typical labels, ADHD, ODD. I thought maybe he had Tourette's because his explosions were so extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he was medicated for a short time period. And that was just heartbreaking because um, his personality was gone, you know. So what does he say about the process? Like, what was it like for him? Yeah, well, he was pretty angry with me for a long time sending him to different schools that was very hard for all of us for the family dynamic so early on he really didn't believe in it or believe that it had anything to do with anything (laughs) you know it took him a long time and he still disagrees with some of my decisions Um, but he's now in the army he's special forces green beret and so he went from being a person that would have been locked up or accidentally killed himself to literally one of the most disciplined people in our society. So we watched that, you know, and that was the difference. Like he had went to multiple different schools and environments and everything and and therapists and whatever. And it wasn't until that neurofeedback time period that he was able to Hmm. start to apply it. So, yeah, maybe he'll write his chapter in the book one day. He didn't yet, but... (laughs) (laughs) So the book kind of takes you through your story. So tell me about the book, more about the book. Yeah, the book is meant to be a quick kind of guide and introduction of neurofeedback to the parents that are struggling and going through all of that trauma of trying to figure out what to do next and, to, you know, give them some hope and to, and help the families and providers realize that this should be one of our first options of support to go to. Not like in the end, after so many years, when you run out of options, you know, we mm-hmm. really should look at the brain and the brainwave activity and the communication in there early on before the medications and before all of the, the extreme decisions that we have to make. Yes. So yes, that's sure. what the book is for. It's just a, a really, it's meant to be an easy read, not a deep dive into neurofeedback, but it just shares kind of. Uh, and hopefully some parents can find it relatable of what they, the struggles they've gone through with their kid and different um, ways to look at it. Yeah. So there, are there any questions that I have not asked you that you would wish that I had asked you? I don't think so. I think you've covered a lot <laughs> of the normal ones that people ask. You know? Okay. So what yeah. advice do you have 
for the moms listening. Yeah. I always like to advise the moms and I, in, in hindsight, you know, I wish I would have known what I know now. And so I like people to understand that the way people are reacting and responding and within the family unit and your environment, there can be a physical reason for it. It's not mm-hmm. always just their choice. It's not always just a bad attitude, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, or defiance. A lot of times it is just a physical pattern that they're just not really connected properly. Mm-hmm. So I like people to consider that and encourage you to get brain maps for your family and, and understand that dynamic of what everybody's dealing with on a physical basis too. Yeah, no, that's great. That's wonderful. So what would be the first step for a mom listening to learn more about neurofeedback? They can go to our website, symmetryneuropt.com. We've got some basic info on there. And down in the bottom, we also have links to the more advanced research and call us, have a conversation so we can set the expectations and help you find the right fit. Okay. All right. So how can they contact you? It's um, symmetryneuropt.com or one eight four four brain on So one eight four four two seven two four six six six. Okay. And we want the providers to come on board too. We want to help you give your clients access to this. So the professionals can certainly reach out to us as well. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. So thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Colleen. I really appreciate you having me on. Yes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.